everyone. Welcome back to Stars Like Us. I'm your host, Aliza Kelly, and I am so excited to introduce you to today's guest. It's Kimberly. You may know her as Star Sign Style, which is a tongue twister, but it's also a very important blog that Kimberly started in 2012. So this is soon to be 10 years, which you know, by all intents and purposes, predates the huge astrology revival, if you will, that has happened via social media, specifically Instagram over the past couple of years, predates astrology memes, which is for our younger listeners, yes, it's in, there's astrology before memes. Somehow it existed. And I'm really excited to talk to Kimberly about astrocartography, which is a a specialty, uh, very precise way of being able to use your birth chart to figure out how you relate to your geographic environment and also which location is best for your chart. So it's so nice to meet you. You're reporting all the way from Hong Kong. So speaking of <laughs> very <laughs> speaking of astrocartography, yes. <laughs> It's so nice to connect with and you. And you. I nearly met you in person. I came to New York last summer and almost met you, but didn't quite manage to catch you for tea. If only I had known that in just a few months, I would never see anyone in person again. I would have never, well, if only, if only, if only. <laughs> That's okay. That day I managed to meet with Priya. Yeah, I love so I Priya. I managed to meet her. We should get her on Stars Like Us. She's so Absolutely great. Hello, should. Priya, if you're listening. Yes, I met Priya and um, Rick as well. Your other guest, Rick, in um, Calcutta. Oh, really? Yeah, like two years ago, I was at the IVC conference in Calcutta, and Anne Ortley was meant to be coming in December. We were supposed to, I mean, it's, what are we in now, October? Um, we were supposed to have the conference in, I think it got moved twice. What, first, it was meant to be in February. And then it was meant to be in December and Anne was so G'd up, ready to come to the conference. And I have my speech prepared um, about the beauty in the stars. So I took some really prolific moments in fashion history. So the moment where Marilyn Monroe is standing over the grate and her dress blows up. And the moment where um, Audrey Hepburn is walking to um, the Tiffany's window in the beginning, the opening scene of the film. It's a really iconic look and Elvis's cat suit from his um, revival tour and I did the iconic Princess Diana it was called the revenge dress and it saw her striding out after it had been announced that she was either divorcing Prince Charles or he was confirmed to be having an affair with Camilla and so it's these iconic moments in fashion history that I kind of analyzed as a, as a kind of image. And that was what my talk was going to be about. But unfortunately, COVID, it's been postponed slash cancelled. Well, maybe you can share some highlights from that with us here, because those are all fascinating things. And as an art yeah. historian turned astrologer, the iconography and the symbolism of these moments that you're outlining is like exactly what makes astrology so fun and interesting Absolutely. and alive to me. So I guess circling that all back, how did you begin your blog, Star Sign Style? And in 2012, in this very different world, was that the beginning of your interest in astrology? Was that the way you were resolving it? Tell us a little bit about your background and how it all came to be. Sure. I think that really a lot of us have sailed on the wings of Neptune and Pisces. And for myself, that was very much a shift. You know, Neptune and Pisces has and still is, it continues to be this wonderful transit. Obviously, it's not all wonderful, but for me, it was the beginning of my ability to engage um, with expressing astrology on a more prolific platform like the internet. And pre me buying the domain star sign style, that was just when the bloggers were out doing the outfit of the day. You know how like it was like years ago and I was feeling very disenchanted with my life. And I was in, living in London and I just said, I can't do this anymore. I cannot live this life 
what's it all about? And I lifted my heart to the universe and I said, please send me something to do that's not so inane. And basically I took all my skills and somehow at that time, I just was slotted into this job, which was a terrible job with a terrible boss. But I managed to pick up skills and start building the website. I had sort of like this divine pocket of time and um, I managed to start beavering away. I signed up to the London School of Astrology and I said, you know, I'm going to make this website. It's going to be beautiful. I'm very into kind of aesthetics and I've always loved magazines and fashion editorial and just been set alight with, with beautiful visuals. And I said, you know, astrology needs a bit of an extra splash of that because, you know, going back even further, I, I'm a cancer rising and I've got a really good memory for people and their, their astrology. So throughout my life, I've always been like a magpie collecting information. And um, one of the original inspirations and my muse was my mother, who's Venus in Capricorn, Capricorn. And she looks maybe not everyone will see it, but I think she looks a bit like Kate Moss and especially in her younger years. And so I, um, I was like, oh, that's so interesting that like star signs have a visual component to them too. And when I was a child, I used to lay on the sitting room floor of my mum's best friend while they would crack open the wine and I would lay and look every time we'd go over to her house, I'd say, can I get the astrology book out? And I would lift these huge pages of this wonderful 1970s book and it had the most incredible drawings in it. And it was like, this is Pisces and it would obviously be a fish and kind of all these illustrations and lists and pictures and, you know, descriptions, wonderfully artistic um, explanations of the 12 zodiac signs. And it just imprinted and embedded on me. And prior to that, I had been introduced to star signs through like the weekend newspaper, the newspaper, the horoscope columns. And so because I didn't grow up in a religious um, household, I was very much a believer that religion was just story tale, you know, fairy tales for kind of moral, moral guidance. I was of the belief that everyone was buying into religion, but the real truth of the matter was astrology. And that some people knew it, but it was very, I don't know if the word's heretic or like, you know, it's pagan and stuff. So I was like, oh, like clearly these people have done this and stamped it all out. But actually, this is the real deal. And one of the strong reasons that I had that compelling argument in my head as a child is because my dad is a Leo rising, Sun, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter and Pluto in Leo. So he's so strongly Leo that for me, I was growing up around people who were archetypically very strong examples of a Leo. My sister's very Cancerian. My mum's, you know, Capricorn Sag, and she's very Capricorn. And so I just realized, oh, like this is totally legitimate. But it took me many years to come to the point where I was able to say, this is what I've got to do. This is my calling. And actually looking at my own horoscope, I realized that that's quite legitimate for me. What would you say in your birth chart validates the experiences and the way that you see the world and how you're able to sort of codify it? Yeah, well, I have, like you, I have a nodal, a very strong nodal connection. I have moon in Sagittarius on the south node conjunct Uranus. I also have Pallas, um, the, the sort of pattern asteroid, the pattern um, identifier on my midheaven, which I always think is quite good for being not obsessive. I have three obsessive Scorpio planets too, um, which is obviously good for work ethic and drive and research. <laughs> I have Pallas at a nice prominent position and I have this um, Sag Uranus, uh, moon, moon Uranus, Sag on the south node, which I think is like an ancient knowledge. Um, you know, and I hate that when people are like, I, I'm a reincarnation of Nefertiti. I'm not saying I've got ancient knowledge of like bigging myself up, but there is something about Urania being like the goddess of um, astrology and um, Uranus. Astrology has different attachments, different signs, planets. People put, put it as all different types of things. But I, I feel quite strongly that it's a Uranian energy. And so I, I, and, and I connected with it. So I think that's a, a fairly 
decent start point. So I think so too. Absolutely. So I want to stay on the the aesthetic aspect of it before we get into the astrocartography. So I'm curious, with some of the uh, th- these iconic, legendary moments, specifically, you know, I with Marilyn Monroe and her white dress and that whole amazing staged PR stunt, what is the astrology of that moment? Wow, it's fascinating and wonderful. And I'm probably not going to remember it, but you're right. There was a PR stunt because people were gathered, the crowds, the throngs, and I found the exact time of when that was filmed. So it was the inception moment, the birth of that image. Um, And it's actually, I think I'm going to say it's Pluto. It's Leo. Gosh, I'm going to get it completely cack-handed. But essentially, it's the gust of wind coming up and the mercurial bird or the Gemini bird and the vision of the white, the shoulders being the the Gemini um, body part, the shoulders and the arms coming down into that that vision. And she is a, she's like a bird, like, I can't remember, but I've written a very nice paragraph on it, which I'll send to you. But essentially, <laughs> it fits. And I've also done Selena Gomez when she did the iconic Coca-Cola one. But essentially, if you're an astrologer and you have um, a sense of aesthetic, you'll see, perhaps with a little bit of, you know, conversation around it, but you'll see, or maybe I'm just completely honed in and want to see but essentially, it's not difficult to ascribe the different things to the different um, zodiac signs. So, of course, bright, mercurial, white, sparkling effervescence is, of course, Gemini. And, of course, more earthy tones are the, you know, the, the more creamy yellows are more Virgo, you know, Virgo. And if the fresh greens are obviously Virgo. But it's not to say anything could be anything. Of course, black can be Capricorn or Scorpio. And, of course, you know, red could be Libra on a certain day, you know, but essentially as someone who studied art, taking those moments and just drilling, I think it all comes with that obsessive drilling down into the chart and kind of psychoanalyzing it, I guess. I'm sorry to totally put you on the spot and be like, can you please tell us your dissertation right now uh, without any notes prepared? Uh, Obviously, that is would be an impossible feat. But I think that it's it really has piqued my interest in it. I in terms of aesthetics, you know, I personally have Venus at zero degrees Libra. So art and aesthetics and, you know, thinking about those I think that Venus as both the ruler of Taurus and as Libra is so interesting because there is the um, the sensual aspect of beauty. And, you know, beauty obviously is a, a, a complicated word. When I say beauty, I don't mean beauty standards. I mean just things that are to us beautiful, whatever beauty means in a particular moment and time and place and culture. Um, but Taurus is sort of the palpable essence of that, whereas Libra is the cognitive cerebral one, which is, you know, thinking about things like the golden rule and symmetry and contrapposto and like the concepts surrounding what makes something beautiful, whereas Taurus is just like, oh, this fucking raspberry tastes amazing. Like, I just want to, like, have candles everywhere because they create, they they make me feel beautiful. They create a beautiful environment. With my zero degree Venus Libra in the eighth house, I've always had very strong aesthetics. You know, I've always had, from a very young age, I remember wearing things that always stood out. And I also, you know, there, I have some Uranian stuff involved in that too. I have uh, Venus square Uranus. So that checks out. But when I was in my early 20s, and I started to immerse myself in astrology, um, I, you know, one of my things is that I, especially when I was in my early 20s, I only wore black. It was like, uh, it was like a very specific, um, signature. Um, and it was very important. And it also, you know, part of it was actually just wanting to reduce, you know, wanting to sort of clarify what my shopping experience would be. A lot of it came from utility of like, I don't want to look through all of these different clothes. I just want to like, if it's black, I like it. And, but it was black, 
with then gold accents. And then when I found out that I was, you know, Leo Sun, Capricorn rising, it was like, oh my God, well, that explains everything because it's, you know, you have that stoic, take me seriously. I'm wearing, you know, I'm wearing this intense color with the Capricorn, but then these flashes of gold, which create the drama with my Leo Sun. And then even having like, even, you know, my Pisces moon is in there and even sort of creating sort of a, a character around what those visual concepts mean. Um, but understanding how to work with color and how to create different narratives through aesthetics, through style, through fabrics, and then through and then using astrology to look back at that through time, I think is just so interesting, so fascinating. Um, it's I mean, everything sort of just folds in on itself. And I think that what makes astrology so magical is that it really is the glue that ties everything together. It gives us that language to pinpoint and describe. Like you say, when you say to me gold earrings, I'm nodding going, nailed it, nailed the Leo accent for sure. And like expressed on the outside what was going on in the inside. And I don't want people to get the wrong idea that what I do is meant from a vain, you know, superficial perspective. Like you with the streamlining of the black in your 20s, the reason, there's a twofold reason I'd like to sort of touch on of why I started the website. One, I have Venus square Jupiter in my own chart. I have an excessive Venus. So that's really uncomfortable to me. And my Venus is in Aries. I also have Venus square Jupiter, actually. It's excessive. Yeah, I have Venus. My, my, yeah, Jupiter is at uh, three degrees Cancer and Venus is at zero degrees Libra. And I always forget that. I always forget my Venus Jupiter square. Yeah. And we have to kind of like our own aspects. We really have to kind of know them and name them and really know them. Yeah, I have Venus at 14 degrees Aries. And I remember one of the first kind of things I picked up on when my astrology teacher years ago, he said, you know, Aries is a masculine sign and Venus and Aries women can be really, you know, masculine. Or, you know, I hate to use those words masculine and feminine because I know it's not the, the current thing to say that. But essentially, I resonated with that so much because I'm, you know, bossy. I'm kind of like, very direct and I'm very direct in my Venusian style as well, like very immediate. You know, I'm a fire sign, I'm a fire moon, fire sun, fire Venus. And I couldn't understand why this expression of, um, of Venus just wasn't, you know, basically why I felt not less than, but kind of like frustrated with my own sense of femininity. And so I realized, first of all, that the Venus square Jupiter is a really unfortunate type of, of placement. Um, and I wanted kind of to, um, to have people who I admired, because there are so many women with Venus and Aries that I admire. And when I identified that, it made me feel really good about myself because I honored other women that I was like, you know what, Kimberly, who cares if you're a bit bloody, you know, whatever. Actually, Lady Gaga's got blooming, you know, Venus in Aries. And actually, she's cool, you know. And I think sometimes, you know, the image of femininity, you know, it is the Taurian or the, the Venusian, you know, angelic small woman. Well, hey, I'm not that. Like, I'm actually really ballsy. I may have a cancer rising, but underneath that, there's a heck of a lot of fire. And we're not rewarded as women in that way. So there's First of all, the reason that I wanted to do Star Sign Star was to kind of empower people around their uniqueness. You know, if they did have a whatever moon, that they would be able to own that happily, comfortably identifying with others. Second of all, to your piece about dressing in black, I grew up in the era of fast fashion when it was being encouraged. So, you know, the whole Clueless movie where she was rifling through her huge wardrobe and consumerism and all this kind of stuff. And I became so oversaturated as a young woman with, you know, here's the catwalk's latest trends. You've got to, you know, try on this, try on that, try on the other. It's like, I don't want to be, you know, every, I don't want to have to be that. I want a signature style. I want to know who I am. So I don't have to bother 
with the multitude of different fashions that there are out there. Let me keep it simple so I don't have to basically buy into trends that just aren't me. I'm not a Harrison Tweed girl. I'm not a plaid person. I'm a like plain white, fresh jeans. Keep it simple. And you know, that's what works for me. It's like if you invest in a, in a blazer that's incredibly Capricorn appropriate, boom, you're sorted for the rest oh, of your life. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. All, all I want are good blazers. But the magazines tell us, oh, you need a shoe. You need a boot. You need a shoe. You need a this. You need a that. You need this by the time you're 30. You need that. And I'm like, I don't want all those things. Like, that, that doesn't matter to me. And so... Although my, my website and what it might appear to be is incredibly, you know, fueling this um, consumerism or fueling the idea, actually, the notion that I want to actually press upon people is find your signature style, be true to who you are, express on the outside what's going on on the inside, and then you'll be an authentic version of yourself that doesn't need to explain, like, actually, I've got a Scorpio moon. It's like it's written all over my face that I have, you know, a different side to myself in in that way. That's so interesting. I actually, um, I guess this is a little bit of a spoiler for the book that I'm going to be releasing next year. But I have some, you know, I, I have some manifestations that I offer in that book that surround what we wear and how what we wear should we should have something in our wardrobe that connects with our astrology. You know, so if we want to tap into a certain dynamic, a certain aspect, no pun intended, of our person, we should have something. And it doesn't need to be something that's so blatantly obvious. It's 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 an association that we can make individually. But it's like if I want to really harness my Leo, I know that I have one item that is always going to be to like sort of bring out that Leo in me. If I want to tap into my Virgo Mercury or Mars, I have certain things that are going to help me identify and connect with those dimensions of my chart and myself because astrology is so multidimensional. We are so many different things and we can lean into so many different parts of ourselves and they're all important and they're all valid and we can pick and choose when we want to express them. Something that I hear very often and that I do remember reading quite often as well when I was beginning astrology is the rising sign is how you come off to other people. It's what are the it's I I would always read it as the mask you wore in public and you know when I work with early astrologers, fledging fledgling astrologers, I I, that's what they they are also still in that getting that feedback too. But I have not found that to be specifically true. Um, I don't think that the rising sign is by any means the way that some you're going to meet somebody. I I think that it is. It depends on how it's aspected. It depends on what the rising sign is. It depends on if they if if that rising sign is something. If they're all. 12th house, like you're not going to see the rising sign, you know, you you might see something totally else. If they're super lunar, you might interact with their moon more. The rising sign could be visible, but it doesn't have to be visible, Um, which I guess is just sort of my way of unpacking like, you know, that what I think your blog does so well is that it just presents options. It's it really lays out different ways of looking at things. And it doesn't say, well, you know, if you're a cancer rising, like you need to dress cancerian. It's also an invitation to be like, try out these Mars things, try out these Venus things. Why not? Totally. And I completely agree. My own experience of my rising, cancer rising, is to use it and I do like to use my cancer rising. And I'm very aware that I'm cancer rising. Um, and I notice and I laugh at myself being cancer rising. But my moon is my ruler. And my moon is conjunct Uranus. And my moon is in Sagittarius. So of course, there's a resoundingly strong pull towards that. So I always think it's good for people to look at their, obviously, their chart ruler as like the, the next layer of um, of digging into like, where my story or my style signature might lead 
because it is all around that. It's around obviously the the aspects and also the transits. Like you said, if you were going through something in your twenties that led you to, you know, I'm guessing you had your your long Pluto toe transit then, and you know all these planets, you know, shuffling through the twelfth, and you know that would certainly bring out a multitude of issues or you know, and and it's like someone going through a Uranus opposition when they're in their early forties. That's going to affect someone's fashion as well, like these groundbreaking things. And I know when Saturn went into um, Capricorn, I was like, right, need to grow up a little bit, you know, Saturn's in Capricorn. What kind of like, uh, what can I absorb? But of course, we're astrologers. We work from home so much. Well, you're on tally now as well, but I'm at home so much, so I don't really have to worry too much about what I'm wearing or how I come across. But it's certainly that consciousness, that awareness around what's happening in the stars now, you know, am I going through a health transit? Do I need to get my yoga kit and kind of, you know, actually use clothes to reflect what zone I'm in without promoting mass consumerism, of course. Yeah, I uh, am such a huge advocate for vintage thrift, reused clothes, you know, pre-worn clothes. I am slowly trying to ensure that my entire wardrobe consists exclusively of clothes that have had a life before me, that I'm not the first person in possession of those. Well, um, I'm totally on board with that. With the exception of maybe underwear. Underwear, <laughs> underwear agreed. But I'm I'm totally a um, complete advocate for that. And I am the luckiest person in Hong Kong because I know where all the secondhand shops are. And um, it's not Chinese culture to buy secondhand. So a lot of women will get uh, rid of a lot of expensive clothes here. And basically, people don't want to buy them because it's not the done thing to wear somebody else's clothes in that culture. So you better start sending me things. <laughs> I honestly, Because I'm sure you have access to the best of the best. I, I was very tempted to start some kind of an online sales system. And, and the, some of these clothes were in, like, I'm not joking, like Oscar de la Renta, like, I found a Chanel gown in there once. I mean, a lot of it's too small for me because I'm not an Asian size. So it's a bit of a downer. But, you know, some of these clothes are incredible. I can't go in there too much because I don't have any anywhere to wear them. But there's some amazing things. This might be an interesting expansion of star, of star sign style. This is very interesting. So now let's shift over to one of your specialties, which is astrocartography. Can you tell us a little bit about that and um, how it works? Yeah. So I was interested to know exactly that. How does this work? How does this work? Because um, I read the Jim Lewis book. So when I left England in 2014, I was done. I was just like, my life is not working. You know, I'm this moon Uranus girl. So I'm pretty sort of spontaneous, erratic. I don't know. I'm pretty wild. So I was just like, you know what? I need to just cut loose, start afresh. I've got my website. I've got my pack on my back. I'm going to discover something new. And obviously this is post Saturn return, post breakup, lost, didn't lose my house, but like packed up my house, the flat in London, I was like, write them off. Uh, no, you know, let the job go, let everything go. Very Saturn in Scorpio had done a bit of therapy, thought I had, you know, purged and, and done the thing. And yeah, so I, I, it was like a month before I was due to leave. And I was in a seminar in London because we have some great seminars in London for astrology. There's some brilliant, brilliant um, teachers and stuff there. So I went to this fabulous weekend, you know, convention, whatever, and I heard about astrocartography and I was like, wow, how lucky that I've just heard about this. So I went home to see my sister and my dad on the weekend and I was like, right, I'm pulling up this astro map. Where am I going to go? And I literally just started planning my travels because I'd never done like a big journey before and I'd saved up money and I was ready to go a modest amount. And um, my sister said, go and stay with my friend Mina in Hong Kong because she'll let you come and sleep on her couch for a few days. I was like, brilliant. From there, I'll go to China. I'll start in Bali. I'll do this. Anyway, long story short, I um, had decided to basically tick off as many 
places as I could on my astrology adventure with Australia as my final destination. I got to Australia, but I came back to Hong Kong because I'd met my husband at that point. Obviously, he was just a, a date. But, you know, basically, I am. Um, yeah, I just I just went I just went off on my merry way. Now, at that time, Jupiter was in my 12th. So I was building the website. I was, you know, in my 12th. And as Jupiter crossed my ascendant, I was obviously traveling. So I was experiencing a lucky transit for a fresh start, for travel, for expansion, for growth, and for just generally taking risks. So I'm not recommending, obviously, it's pandemic anyway. No one's really going to be like, right, great, astrocartography, got to go and do it. People aren't going to be saying that, but I would precursor that my experience was particularly fortuitous because I had Jupiter in a really, really good place. Now, what happened for me when I experienced these things was that I was very much in tune with um, synchronicity, serendipity, and I was very in my Pisces midheaven, you know, trusting the universe. Um, that's who I am at my core, as I'm a very, um, you know, I'm an Aries, I'm like the fool, right? Stepping off the cliff, Sagittarius moon. Now I've lived with an Aquarius for a few years who's an American. He's quite like, you know, grounds me in reality a little bit more. But naturally, I'm quite kind of uh, fairy off in, off in the clouds. So I basically just went on a wing and a prayer and I just went off on my merry way and I ticked off all these places and I just had wonderful experiences when I just followed the signs, which sounds ludicrous, but it really worked for me. And I would turn up in a place and I would look and obviously I didn't have mobile phone signals. So I was very tuned into signs, symbolism and, you know, what the universe was telling me. And I just had beautiful experiences. And I'll just tell you about a couple of them. So I had um, I went to Koh Yang in Thailand because they have something there called the full moon party. And of course, I wanted to go to the full moon party because it's like, you know, notorious. and It sounded fun. And so I went there and there was a, a hostel called Neptune's Villa. And this was my Neptune icy line. So I was like, well, of course. And I had my little Jim, Jim Lewis book and I was referencing everything and I was seeing oh, what will happen here and, you know, everything. And, um, and basically I was like, well, Neptune's Villa. But Neptune's Villa was a little bit expensive. So I stayed across the road from Neptune's Villa. But essentially I was kind of affirming to the universe that I was having these experiences. And I ended up staying with um, a pharmacist. All of the beds were taken in this, in this holiday beach place. It was yoga retreats and stuff. And I just went and the man said, look, everywhere's fully booked. And I sat down in a yoga place and I just kind of cried. I was like, oh, God, I've nowhere to sleep. And she's a girl from Israel. And she's like, oh, you can sleep in my room. Like, you can sleep with me. And I was like, Oh, thank God, like someone's offering me a bed. And I said, yes. And she, and we went swimming every day. It was very Neptunian. We went to bar, saunas in the mountains and I went to a healer and it was all just very Neptunian. That was my first Neptune icy, um, you know, yoga, naked sunbathing, like just completely Neptunian. Second time I went to Chiang Mai, which was further up in Thailand and I, tap on astrologers doors everywhere I go I look is there astrologer let's have a cup of tea it would be lovely to meet you and so I met this man called Rudy and he was German living in Thailand and basically he said you should go and see my friend Katerina she lives in Chiang Rai and I was like wonderful that's even more close to my Neptune IC line and it was in this there was temples it was amazing she said come and stay at my cottage I slept on a waterbed by a lake and I got very sick. And I was like, well, that's really Neptunian. How more, how Neptunian can you get to sleep on a waterbed on the icy? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. And then I came back to Hong Kong. Then from Hong Kong, a third, the third time I went to my Neptune on the icy line, I won a trip uh, through another girl on Facebook to go to China to a lake in northern China on the Tibetan plateau called um, Qinghai Lake. And I, and I basically got to go on a guided tour to stay with the yak herders um, who eat yak meat and they 
it was a wonderful place and there's a pilgrimage around this lake every year. So we went to go and stay in these cold, cold tents with these yak herders and drink yak milk, which is a very weird taste. And it was amazing. And I was amazed to look on that map and see that the Qinghai Lake, that the universe had conspired to get me there, was bang on my Neptune line again. And I had this wonderful experience of taking photographs that were just the bluest blue of a little monk boy and his grandmother or his mother in their beads who were praying by the river. And it was, it was, it was, a, it was a spiritual experience, perhaps, or perhaps it was an experience, but um, it was incredible. And that was a place where they create salt. So they like dehydrate the, they make salt mountains. And it was, it was an amazing trip. So I've been to many lines and I use the same philosophy wherever I'm going. I try and follow my nose, sort of take, take chances, talk to people, you know, but I think that I also have that personality, moon in Sagittarius, conjunct the South Node. I'm at home in the world. I'm kind of all right with it, whereas not everyone's going to be like that. So from a technical perspective, how do you calculate astrocartography? Yes. So you basically go to astro.com and it does it all for you. So you basically um, put in your details as close to the time that you know you were born. Like obviously if you're rounding up to the hour, it's not going to be as accurate. And they say like, I think within five miles or five kilometers of the line is going to be more accurate. But basically I've done a little video on it. You just pull up the lines and there are interpretations on astro.com. So you click on the line, it tells you a very rough description. But if you have some astrological knowledge, you're going to be very much, you're going to be well placed to interpret your own chart in the context of that bigger picture, if that makes sense. For example, as someone with Venus in um, Aries, if I put Venus on the descendant, obviously I'm Libra rising. It changes the whole context of my birth chart, which is obviously relocation astrology. So there's two things. There's astrocartography, which is honing in on the lines that, that basically are positioned on the axis of your astrological chart. So you've got the rising, the setting. So the ascendant, the descendant. So it keeps the rising, it keeps the ascendant and the descendant. What it does is it takes the planets and there was a couple called the Gokulins. Do you know those two famous astrologers called the Gokulins? They were a married couple. And essentially what the Gokulins researched was that when planets are on the midheaven or when planets are strategic, strategically placed on the, on the ascendant, it, it strengthens them. And so when we relocate longitude or latitude and we, we position our own planets on those power points, which is rising, setting, you know, ascendant, descendant, midheaven, icy, when we personally move to imagine that we were born with the planets on those axis points when we were born, basically it kind of elevates their importance in our own relocated chart. It's like a quick way to draw up a relocated chart, but then it's whether or not like the experience of having Saturn, you know, on the ascendant or whatever is going to be a positive or negative, which you could always analyze through um, looking at your relocated chart. So if somebody has done a move from Australia to America, they can bring up their relocated chart and they don't necessarily have to have had to move to somewhere on the astrocartography map. They can just analyze their relocated chart for their experience based in their new location. Even though it's we're in the middle of a global pandemic, uh, I do have a, a lot of clients right now. A lot of people are thinking about moving because there is a different we, you know, people don't need to be where they thought they needed to be. And that's what a lot of this moment is is revealing is that, you know, we have the virtual means of being able to work from a variety of places. It doesn't we don't need to be in the epicenter of whatever that industry is, you know, so people in New York are starting to you know, I have a client who just moved to Mexico. I I know someone who just moved from Los Angeles to Texas. You know, people are are bopping around because we want to be where we feel good. 
And now that we don't have to have that same, we're not tethered in the same way, there's more mobility. So for if I had a client, let's say I was the client, let's say I wanted to uh, figure out where to go based on astrocartography, how would I, I'd go to astro.com, I would find in that very, very expansive website, I would find the section on astrocartography, I would put my information in, and then I would, it would generate a map of of the world, and it would have all of these planets, vertical lines, each representing a planet, and that's going to show us where that planet was rising, right, or what that path of that planet is. Yeah, where it was rising, where it was setting, where it was highest or where it was hidden. Yeah, where it was lowest. So then what stays the same with my chart? Like what plugs in? Yeah, so just to rewind and explain, sorry, because it is it is a tricky one to explain. But essentially, Elisa, let's say you were born at 9pm in New York, if you're a New Yorker. But if imaginarily, you were in on the other side of the world with me in Hong Kong because it's exactly 12 hours apart because my husband's from New York State. So he, he obviously was the first one that caught on to me. that I was like, oh, anytime I speak to someone who was born in New York, who's relocated to Hong Kong, I know that their chart has completely done a 180, which is brilliant because it's like, you know, if you were here, you'd be just the opposite. You'd, your chart would just be turned the other way around but essentially you would be born so i'd be a cancer rising too with you yes but i'm libra rising here oh (laughs) so it's different again but um so yeah you'd be a cancer rising so you would be born at the same moment in time so venus would still be at the same zero degree point your sun would still be conjunct the south node you would still have exactly the same map of the skies but it would be at the same moment on the different side of the world. So the um, the longitude and latitude would be different. So the chart would be cast upside down in this case. Or if it was, for example, in Los Angeles, it would just be slightly turned just like a clock slightly. And so that's why if you're an American and you have that expanse of the USA, that you wanted to kind of, if you had the freedom and the autonomy to kind of have a more intense experience. So say you were in um, California, but you wanted to move inland to Denver because it was just a little bit, put your moon a little bit more prominent. You know, you might say, look, I'm a holistic therapist. I would really like people to see my wonderful moon and have it very career prominent. It's already in my 10th house, but let's see if we can just shove it over a bit onto my midheaven. Or perhaps you'd be known as a mother in that location, or perhaps you'd be known as clingy, or perhaps you'd be known as, you know, it's all these um, sort of like attachments to the iconography of a moon that we would be drawing upon. You know, I heard you say in a podcast previously, there is no good or bad. You know, if you have a very noticeable Venus, people would think lovely, Venus, glamorous, sexy, sweet, fun, flirty. Well, actually, Venus is very you know, the, the myth of Venus, it's not all good stuff. It could actually mean that you would look rich and get robbed. It could actually mean that you look beautiful and get attacked. You know, it could mean that you'd be too showy for that location. And so it doesn't mean you'll like somewhere just because the astrocartography is good. There are many days where I'm like, ugh, what a pain to live somewhere, you know, where I am. And actually, it's not, it's not that I wake up every morning like Cinderella with the birds and the mice. It's that, um, it's just that the, the what I've done here is I've gotten married. So I met Venus, like I, I had Venus, um, on the descendant. So it's, it's actually introduced a husband, you know, husband to me. So I think it's useful. It's astrology works in the sort of most annoying ways sometimes that it just gives us the literal things. And so, yeah, some, I, I, I guess try it out before actually moving your whole house somewhere, potentially. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. It's interesting because I spent, I've lived in Minnesota for college. I lived in Los Angeles. I lived in Ireland. <gasps> did I've you lived live in, in Ireland? Rome. Lovely. I did. I lived in Ireland for 
almost four months. Cold, right? I found that the place, the area that I feel most deeply connected to, I feel most excited to be in is is near the Mediterranean. There's something about that area of the world that just makes me feel deeply connected to like my my true purpose. Honey, that ain't that ain't astrocartography. That's just because it's beautiful. I know, I know, I know. I'm, it's like, it's also like, be, it's also just like literally the Mediterranean. It's being on vacation. It's like loving life. It's leaving your problems at home. But in Los Angeles, where I had looked at my relocated chart and I did, you know, I was very aware of how my chart shifted in that space. Technically, it was like a easier chart. You know, I my eighth house stellium dispersed. It moved into the seventh. I was a Sag rising instead of a Capricorn rising. But what I found to be so interesting, and I'm still reconciling this, is that it almost felt more frustrating to not have the stern stoicism of my Capricorn rising, the intensity of my eighth house stellium, the things that make my chart so hard. I felt like they were being washed over, you know? I felt unseen because my chart was now more adventurous and it was more, it was a lot about relationships, which was very much the theme of being in Los Angeles was interpersonal dynamics. But I felt like there was something that was deep, that lived within me, my natal chart, that wasn't able to be expressed within that context. And back in New York, where I'm from and where I live, it's like everything kind of just slots into place. Like the harsh stuff, the hard things, they're all real, but I can like address them at face value because I know how to. Whereas when my chart became technically like easier, quote unquote, it was like the hard things were still there, but I couldn't, I couldn't access them. So it was just coming out and it just made me feel frivolous, invalidated. Mm. Exactly. Mm. I mean, I think that uh, all of the wonderful things that you can do to play with the chart are such good creative exercises. At the end of the day, what we want to do is we want to feel like our chart is a true witness to our experience. And I will I will tell you, I definitely have my natal transits despite the... Um, shift in location. It, there's another question with whether you do a solar return chart for the place that you're, you know, it's the relocated solar return chart versus the, you know, place where you were born. And I still go with the place where I was born um, rather than thinking that you can travel to change your destiny is a funny word. But, you know, I don't necessarily think just because I'm living here that I'm managing to kind of avoid anything essentially. I'm actually a 21 degree cancer rising and I've had the Capricorn planets on my descendant for what felt like all of last year. And I'm really feeling in the last 24 hours, Pluto go direct. It was like uh, the last birthing push <laughs> this, this last weekend. I was like, okay, maybe now that Pluto's direct, I know it doesn't exit Capricorn for a while, but I really felt like okay, breathe, breathe. We're almost in the home straight. And I also write horoscopes. The other project that I'm fully committed to at the moment is Spotify horoscopes. So I actually was, I could talk forever with you about writing um, for the sun versus the rising transits, because I find it really spooky how accurate the sun sign horoscopes actually play out for transits, but then also clearly for the rising sign and for the for the chart as well. Yes. Yeah, so sun sign horoscopes really show you what is going on. It really exposes the thing. And then the rest of the planets will sort of fill in the gaps. But the sun sign is a is a creative exercise for being able to sort of shine a light specifically where you need to look. I sometimes listen to my Aries though versus my Cancer rising and my Aries is like I can't sometimes believe how the Aries works as well as the rising. I'm like, wow, it's fascinating. And we just got so much crack. Well, those are also, I mean, those are those are very associated. You know, those are locked into each other. So they have a, you know, as both cardinal signs, like they 
they are sort of receiving information in a similar way. What they do with it is very different, but they're, they understand the world through that cardinal lens. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah. Because I don't know about you, but the way I kind of write horoscopes is I basically have so many reference points of references around me that I cross-reference what's going on with each person. When I'm writing horoscopes, I kind of like check in with many different people and consider their rising and their sun at the same time and basically figure things out like that. And, and I'm always surprised that my transits as a Cancer rising are true, but then I'm also like, but as an Aries, my Aries transits are also remarkably on point too. So I think that I think there's something about the ego, the ego of the sun. Yes, definitely. Which is why it's, you know, sun sign horoscopes can be so effective. I mean, I vacillated over the years of like, read for your rising, like, you know, read for whatever you want, like read anything. And now it's like, no, I really actually think one should read their sun sign because I really do think that I think that it is ego is the good word. I think that reading for your ego is going to feel the most relevant for what a sun sign horoscope could offer. Oh, good. I'm going to join in with you on that one because I was always about listen to both, listen to both. <laughs> but I think I'm moving back to sun as well. <laughs> well, Kimberly, this has been so delightful. Where can we find you and connect with you? I'm very quiet on Instagram after watching the social media TV show and um, have deleted Facebook from my phone, but I'm still on the website. I'm very quiet on social media, but I do intend to come back with some kind of juicy um, offering in time. But, you know, I'm on, on Instagram at Star Sign Style and I'm doing collages to try and distill the energy of the, uh, of the star signs. And yeah, just trying to be creative and have fun with astrology and just, you know, play with it as well as having it as a full-time writing gig as well. Because got to keep it interesting and light and kind of keep our brains kind of playing with all of it because it's just such a such a beautiful field to work in and it's so good to have time to speak with you I always love your guests on the show and it's a privilege to sit down and chat well now you're one of them and we love Yay. you <laughs> Lovely. so thank you so much have a really beautiful day wonderful lots of love <laughs> 